0: muted. That will, that will not do. If the preacher's mute, that won't be a help to any of us. It's good to see everyone here tonight. Thank you to Dr. Overly and Mr. Logan Elder as well in their help this evening. And I invite you to turn this evening to Luke chapter 12, the gospel of Luke chapter 12 as we continue our study in this gospel. number of additional matters. Thankfully, Mrs. Panosian's fractured um, pelvic bone isn't so bad that she's unable to put weight on it. very thankful to hear that she's still able to stand, so we'll see what comes of that and what the doctors and the surgeons require or are going to do in her case, but do continue to pray for her nonetheless. Most of you probably do not know, but there may be one or two of you remember that there was another minister in the Free Presbyterian Church that had the surname Cairns, and it was the man by the name of the Reverend Harry Cairns, very quiet, at least more in the background ministry in Ulster, and I just learned yesterday of his passing, he's gone on to be with the Lord. Uh, He's one of those ministers for a younger generation coming through. You may not even have known about him or been aware of him. And uh, my wife and I only got to know he and his wife because while we were in Australia, they were sending ministers to Tasmania to help with the needs there. They would send them for four, six, eight weeks, whatever they could afford to sacrifice for the need. And then they would always spend, each man who would come or each couple that would come to Tasmania, they would spend Monday through Friday one kind of week with us to see the works in South Australia as well. So each one that would come over, we would hear who's coming, and then we would know that at some point they were going to be flying over and staying with us for five days, and we would hear the names, and when we heard the name, Reverend Harry Kearns and his wife are going to be, uh, are coming over, I thought oh no, I, I I don't know this man, he's he's a lot older, I was sensing this real generation gap, I'm we're, I'm we're like 24 and 25 and they're retired already by that stage, and I had this fear of, I don't know, I guess it was fearful for Melanie too, having an older lady and having to cater, and you're in your mid-twenties, you really don't, you feel like you don't know what you're doing, so it's all very new for us. And uh, so we were worried, like really worried about them. And then they came over, and they were the easiest couple. Of all the ones that came to stay with us, they were the easiest couple to host. And they were so funny, the way that they would relate to one another. The love between husband and wife was very evident. The way we poked fun in a good way with each other showed the affection that they had. So we were sad to hear the news of the passing of our brother, but he is uh, absent from the body, present with the Lord, which is very far better. The other matter, for those who haven't heard, it seems a lot of focus on the overlays in recent times, but for those of you that didn't hear, uh, Claire overlay got engaged. So we congratulate her. For those of you who know Claire, very thankful to hear that news and trust God will lead her. And uh, the young man that she is fall in love with as well in future days, and be with them. With all that said, we come to Luke chapter 12, and we are reading from verse 13 tonight. We come to a, what I would say probably a, a relatively familiar portion of God's Word, and I trust it will bring a fresh and challenging encouragement to us this evening. So we'll, re- we'll read from verse 13, Luke chapter 12 verse 13 and following through the end of verse 21. So, let's hear the Word of God. One of the companies said unto him, Master, speak to my brother, that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. There will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, May the Lord bless the public reading of His Word, write it on our hearts, and give us the respect that we need as we receive it tonight. Let's pray. Let's all of us ask for the Lord's help, beloved, we need, as always, the Spirit's ministry in our midst, and I hope you know that. You need the Holy Spirit to help you receive the Word with profit. Lord, we acknowledge our need, as always, for help. We are reminded that we know not what a day may bring forth, and we hear of the passing of the aged and the infirmity of the aged, and we realize that we don't even know whether we will get to that stage. We know not what a day will bring forth. So we pray that we might be ready, and we ask for grace to live with eternity's values in view. Help us, Lord, to keep our gaze upon what matters, upon riches that go beyond the pale of this existence, riches that may be laid up in heaven itself. We pray for grace to love Thee. We pray for grace to serve Thee. And wherein we err, and in all of our shortcomings, recognizing they are many, sanctify us through Thy truth. And we pray tonight that Thy Word of truth will help us Will purge away our sin, will deal with those matters that remain that need to be removed from our hearts. And that thou will give us eyes only for thy truth and for thy glory. Bless then our consideration of the word, give us the Holy Spirit, meet with us, Lord, and do deal in kindness and mercy to thy people, to thy church, and deal, O God, even in mercy to those yet without Christ. Save, we pray, and extend thy kingdom, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm quite sure that more than a few of us this evening that are gathered have witnessed a scene like what we have tonight play out before us. We have here told of a particular sibling who comes, one of the company, comes to the Lord Jesus and says, Master, speak to my brother, that he divide the inheritance with me. We've all seen siblings argue, or siblings have a dispute among themselves, and it's not uncommon for one eventually to leave the scene of the dispute and go to a parent and tell the story to the parent in order to get the parent to impose what they will upon the circumstances. We've all seen it. All of us your parents, you know what the kind of pitter-patter of the feet coming towards. You've already heard them kind of disputing over something in the bedroom or somewhere in the house, and then the pitter-patter comes, Mom, Dad, you know, such and such is said or done or won't let me or whatever it might be. Well, such is the context as we have it this evening. This gentleman seems to even interrupt the Lord Jesus Christ. We can't say for sure, but following on from the sober message that he gave concerning the sin of hypocrisy... Then one jumps in with what appears to be a completely unrelated matter and desires that the Lord give his attention to his personal concerns rather than that which he was already dealing with. The sibling is not happy, not happy with the division of the family estate. He has a problem with it. And our Lord Jesus hears him, speaks very soberly to him, and brings to the attention of everyone there a sober reminder as to the danger of another particular sin, not just that of hypocrisy, but that of covetousness. And so tonight, beloved, as we look at these verses together, we look at them under the title, Reaping the Harvest of Covetousness. Reaping the Harvest of Covetousness. We don't want to do that. And that's the warning of the passage before us. Note with me, first of all, the scene. The scene. And in the scene, of the opening verses, there is the request from a brother. First of all, a request from a brother. One of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. A request might be putting it kindly. The language has a ring of demand about it. Master, speak to my brother. There's no inquiry. There's no kind of kind approach or careful use of language to see if the Lord would will to do this. He just comes out with it. Master, you speak to my brother. You, you ought to speak to my brother, is the sense of it, that he divide the inheritance with me. Using the title Master, clearly he recognized in Jesus Christ authority. It, it may be that he's even found among the kind of wider group of the disciples referred to in verse 1 of the same chapter, when Jesus began to say unto his disciples, first of all, so he has as his followers in mind, those who are listening to what he's saying, trying to incorporate his teaching, and this gentleman may have been from the same group. The man doesn't seek to clarify the case. We have no idea whether he's older, the older sibling, or the younger. The assumption would be that he is younger. We don't know whether what he is asking is in accordance to the stipulation of Old Testament law. If we assume that he is the younger, then he is looking at his older brother, and the older brother, the law would stipulate to him that the firstborn son would receive a double the inheritance, whatever that might be, depending on how many brothers there are. So if you take, for example, there may be four brothers. The first uh, son gets 40%, and the other three get 20% between them. If it was just two, then two-thirds to the older, a third to the younger We don't know again the opinion of the the other brother. Maybe he was trying to unify and maintain the unity of the family estate. Maybe his desire was to keep it all together in order that they might combine the resources to to be more profitable with the land. And he's endeavoring to maintain that kind of uh, togetherness within the family rather than dividing it out in that way. But the other brother, he wants to divide it. He wants to get his cut. He wants to get what he deserves. And it may be that there's something that the other brother is doing that isn't right. But whatever the case, whatever's going on, with this request, we get then, secondly, a reply from the Savior. Verse 14, And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? I couldn't help but note the contrast in how he addresses this man with the word man with what we have in verse 14 when he speaks earlier in the portion, I say unto you, my friends. The Lord Jesus does at times speak very affectionately to those before him, but using the language man doesn't appear to be too affectionate in this context. He doesn't show any sympathy to this brother And the language our Lord uses, I don't know if it struck you or not, but it's it's very similar to the language of the Hebrew that spoke to Moses on the occasion when Moses tried to stick his nose in with the the Hebrews that were fighting between each other, and Moses tried to step in and stop them from fighting, and then that's when they make mention of the fact that we saw you kill uh, the the Egyptian the day before, and they say in Exodus 2.14, Who made thee a prince and a judge over us? And I don't know if there's the intention our Lord is using that and contrasting it with Moses. At that time, he, he was trying to step into a role that later he would have, but he was too hasty to step into that role and desired it and, and even was wrong in, in sticking his, his kind of nose into that scenario at that point. The Lord is then using a similar statement, but He is saying, I'm not going to do what Moses did. I have no interest in in being sidetracked into the temptation that Moses fell into. Our Lord Jesus had a very peculiar mission, very peculiar and specific work. And if He began to be judge and divider over not just this man but other men, He would be sidetracked in His mission, dealing with all these practical affairs while the spiritual needs of men go unmet. And never forget that. Sometimes what we want from Jesus Christ is what others can provide. But what Jesus Christ prioritizes is not only not only in His work, but in the application of His work. What He prioritizes is what no one else can do. What cannot be substituted by any other. He is prioritizing His substitutionary work. He is prioritizing His fulfilling of the law. He is prioritizing all this work because no one else can do this. Another may step in and be a judge and divider over material affairs. But what the Lord is really about is a business that no one else can do. And we're thankful for that kind of focus that He had. For if it was not so, if He was like us, so easily sidetracked, so easily going into areas that we have no business entering, we would be left without a Savior, Redeemer, are a way of reconciliation to God. So, our Lord Jesus emphasizes us: this, this is not my business, this is not my area. Yes, rabbis at times would weigh into these things, but our Lord Jesus is not desirous to enter into this particular form of work. And so, our Lord, rather than just leave it there, he takes it as an opportunity. This is a good opportunity. An opportunity to teach, not just for the benefit of the man, but for everyone standing by. Which brings us thirdly to a remark for the crowd. In this scene we have a remark for the crowd. Verse 15, and he said unto them, he said unto them, he's, he's turning, not just looking at the man, but turning to all that still are gathered around. And remember, the scene is that of verse 1, where gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trolled one upon another. There's this huge gathering, and one of the company has come. Now he's looking to them, to the company, and he says unto them, Take heed, and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. The warning again is similar to verse 1, when he warned, Beware ye, Beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now he's saying, Beware of covetousness. The first, the first warning deals with the realm of the spiritual. Sin within the spiritual realm. Hypocrisy. The second deals with sin within the material realm. That of covetousness. And so Christ addresses this particular sin in a very pointed fashion. Covetousness. You see it there, the word. Beware of covetousness. Covetousness, by that word, he is telling us we could put a meaning in there, an inordinate thirst for more. It is the opposite of contentment. Sometimes it is specifically targeted towards someone else's property, but it doesn't have to be. It is any desire not governed by biblical love. Beware of covetousness. Beware of an inordinate thirst for more. The sin of covetousness is what makes our adherence to God's law something that's more than surface deep. This is what the Pharisees failed to understand. They would look at the law of God and their external adherence to it Christ comes and he takes the tenth commandment, thou shalt not covet, and he incorporates it into all the other commandments. In fact, you have the Apostle Paul kind of linking the entire law of God in this way. When you, you go from the first to the tenth, and the tenth is connected to the first, when in Colossians 3 he warns God's people about covetousness, which is Idolatry. As you have the pulling of of the last commandment right round to the first commandment showing that they're not just linear and individual commandments, but they're all one link. James says, Whoso keepeth the whole law, yet offends in one point, is guilty of all. And there's a sense in which they're all interconnected. And the sin of covetousness, the the, the desire or the longing, the internal uh, pursuit of something... Is why our Lord Jesus then begins to teach certain things that cut to the heart. You have heard that it's been said, Thou shalt not commit adultery. I say unto you, if you even look, if you look upon a woman with lust, you've committed adultery with her in the heart. The Word of God tells us that hatred is murder. And that's applying this, this, this undergirding feeling, this, this, this drive, this emotion, this which is beyond the external into an application that shows us the spirituality of the law. Here, however, it's not just applying it to different commandments. The warning of our Lord Jesus Christ is specific to the inordinate thirst for material things. It's hard to look at a passage like this in our day, isn't it? Living where we live, having what we have. Now, we must be careful. Our Lord says, beware of covetousness. In so saying, we must recognize that it's not the possessions themselves that are having things that make it a sin for us. It is how we obtain possessions and what we do with them. Sometimes you hear people talk about possessions in such a way you would imagine Having anything is sinful and wrong. Which, of course, if that was the case, would almost do away and certainly diminish the significance of the eighth commandment, which understands the right of ownership and property. The only way you can steal something is if someone has a claim to it, and they have a rightful claim to it, and it's theirs. Our Lord has no problem with the fact that men may own things. And there are many wealthy people in the scripture, Old Testament and New, many of them. And never once, I say it again, never once does God criticize a man for his wealth, only for his relationship to his wealth. How does he relate to it? So he continues. A man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. A man's life, he's not talking here about his physical being, he's not talking about his physical existence, he's talking about his purpose. A man's purpose consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. His purpose is not fulfilled by the excess of material possessions. That's what men think. He thinks his purpose is fulfilled by the excess of material things. And this is what the Lord is standing before. He is standing before a man who thinks that way. He's thinking that way. He thinks that the significance of getting the inheritance is so vital to his to his existence, to his purpose, to his happiness. Lord Jesus has been speaking some of the most sobering language in all of His ministry, the opening 12 verses, you would imagine anyone in that crowd would almost be afraid to speak. But He comes in with this this personal matter, and and by the context it would appear that the very question itself that is simmering in the, the kind of upper regions of his heart. He just wants to get this matter. He's, he's not actually hearing what the Lord is teaching. Our Lord warns them: take heed. Take heed. When a preacher says take heed, by implication you can understand that he recognizes people struggle to actually... Listen. He's using it in a way to say, listen to me now. Do you hear what I'm saying? Beware of covetousness. Beware of it. Be fearful of it. Recognize its power. Because here, here's what generally you see in the world. You see men thinking their purpose consists in the abundance of the stuff they have. It's all about the stuff they have. And yet, long before our Lord Jesus, the preacher in Ecclesiastes, with all of his experience of life, in Ecclesiastes 5 verse 10 says, He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is what you want. If your whole purpose is stuff, you will never be satisfied. Ever. In Psalm 52, you have the righteous looking on at the mighty, the mighty man. And what is recorded in verse 7 of that Psalm here It's kind of the angle of the righteous looking on, saying, lo, this is the man that made not God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches. So our Lord then takes time to put before everyone a parable. A parable that highlights certain truths that this man and everyone around needed to understand. So we move from the scene to the story. The story that we have from verse 16 and following, in which I note two main things, the practical observations and spiritual observations. The practical observations are are very simple. You read verse 16, He spake a parable unto them, saying, "...the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits?" I think we can say, practically speaking, he was a hard-working man. I mean, this, this, this produce didn't come from nowhere. He had, he had prepared the ground and sowed the seed and did everything he's meant to do. He's a hard-working man. Would appear to be an implication there. Also, he's already rich. The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. Here's a man who already has... Much, by the way, of material things. And yet there's no problem with that. There's no problem with the fact that he's hardworking. That's commended by Scripture. And there's no problem with the fact that he's already rich. It's not condemning the fact that there's a certain rich man and to despise him for having riches. That's not the issue. But then we move to the spiritual observations. Verse 17 He was unthankful in relation to God. And he thought within himself saying, What shall I do because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? When I read that, that's the first spiritual observation I see about this man. He was unthankful in relation to God. He thought within himself saying, How can I render my thanksgiving to God? How can I use this for the glory of God? How can I take this additional wealth, being already a rich man, how can I use this in some fashion that would most honor the Lord? Never asks that question. Never enters his mind. Doesn't fall down on his knees and praise God who had given him such a crop. There's no thankfulness, no gratitude. Verse 17 is a mark of ingratitude. Thinking within himself, amidst all the abundance as it's gathered in, what shall I do? because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. That's the first thing. And of course, the Lord had warned about this. God had warned about this back in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11 and following. As He foresees them entering into the land, taking possession of the land, bringing that land to further fruitfulness and abundance, settling themselves, bedding into an area and the prosperity that likely would come with it. Deuteronomy 8.11 Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping His commandments and His judgments and His statutes which I command thee this day, lest when thou hast eaten and art full, and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply, and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied, and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thine heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God. Deuteronomy 8 is actually encouraging them in the future prosperity that they might enjoy. No condemnation to the prosperity, the condemnation, the beware, the beware is towards the kind of attitude that forgets God in prosperity. He thought within himself. It should be he thanked God So that's the first spiritual observation. He was unthankful in relation to God. Does that mark our day? Does it? (laughs) You better believe it. You look at all the wealth. It's unbelievable. What we're seeing today. There's always been wealthy people, there's always been extraordinarily wealthy people. People look at the the billionaires, the multi-billionaires of the world and they criticize and they condemn and you know they're horrified that such creatures should exist on the planet. Well they have always existed. They've always existed. Like these ridiculously wealthy people have always been there. What is unusual? Is that so many of the common people would be so wealthy? That's what's unusual, and that's what we have today. Regular, common people have abundance. You and I have abundance, and so that again, the, you know, the temptation for us is like is like this man who comes to the Lord and. We see our brother, likely again, likely the elder brother. He's looking towards his older brother. He's got more. And something he sees a lack of fairness in what's going on. But I don't think it's for no reason that the Lord, when he tells the story, tells the parable, he says the ground of a certain rich man. By implication, I'm thinking, that's you. You're already rich. You're coming here begging for more. You want me to be judge and divider as if you're some poverty-stricken individual needing some help amidst the injustice of what your brother's doing, but it's not true. You're wealthy. I can't say for sure, but that's certainly how the story would fit and come with an edge towards this man's conscience. The other spiritual observation I see Is in verse 18, he said, This will I do, I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. He was greedy in relation to his gain. He's not only unthankful in relation to God, he is greedy in relation to his gain. This will I do, I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all, all my fruits. No tithe, no portion to the needy. All my fruits and my goods are going into this great, enlarged barn, greedy in relation to his gain. He did not consider how the gain might be a blessing to others. Proverbs 11:24, "There is that scattereth and yet increaseth, and there is that withholdeth more than is meat, but attendeth to poverty." He did understand Proverbs 28:27, "He that giveth on to the poor shall not lack." but he that hideth his eyes shall have many a curse. No, he's just, he's just greedy. He's greedy of his gain. He wants it all for himself. No, nothing. There's no, there's no vision except self. You see it. Twelve times you have the use of the pronouns, the personal pronouns. I, 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 my, so on and so forth. It's all about him. He is greedy in relation to his gain. It's wonderful when people have gain. It's it's not it's not a bad thing. It is not a bad thing when, when people have gain when when there's prosperity. When when we, we there's a there's an awful tendency, I, uh, a kind of mystical ascetic, uh, ungodly really, an unchristian mentality that that looks at gain with contempt, or despises it in some way. And that's a very unhelp, unhealthy mentality. It is not to be found among the people of God. And often, often, really, is just envy manifesting itself in a spiritual way. The wonderful things that have been accomplished because God has given great gain to people. And they have, by the grace of God, used it. They have used it. Most of us don't know anything about it because they never say anything about it. They go about their business and they divide and they cut up their wealth and they send it here, there, and yonder. Helping only God knows who. Supporting only God knows what. And they're being used by the Lord. Answers to prayers in many different ways. The problem is when gain comes and all we can think about is ourselves. So that's the second spiritual observation. He is greedy in relation to his gain. The third spiritual observation. He was presumptuous in relation to his future. Verse 19. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. I don't think it's too much of an assumption to think that when he talks about how the goods will be laid up for many years that he will be around for many years to enjoy them. He he thinks that this is the case. He thought he had years. The truth is, verse 20, he hadn't even a day. Not even a day. Oh, look how I'm talking to himself. I will say to my soul... He he understood, he understood the theology of man to some degree, didn't he? He knew he had a soul. Talking to his inner self. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Enjoy all that you have. Presumptuous in relation to his future. Fourthly, he was careless in relation to eternity. Verse 20, God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? Careless in relation to eternity. No thought about it whatsoever. Turn for a moment to James chapter 4. James chapter chapter 4. James warns the church of this very thing. This temptation to be just like this rich farmer. James 4, I'll read from verse 13. Go to now ye that say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. So here they're, they're planning. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go prosper, buy and sell, multiply our wealth. This is what people did. This is what people in the church did. It's not actually wrong. It's not wrong for people to be industrious. It's not wrong for them to have businesses. It's not wrong for them to enjoy economic gain. The problem is forgetting God and the brevity of their own life. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? What is your life? There's a question. The materialistic world, my life consists in the abundance of the things that I possess. No, no, it doesn't. What is your life? It is even a vapor. It's a vapor. So if you can, (laughs) it's like imagining the, the boiled water can take the kettle with it. It can't. Vapor goes and leaves it behind. It's like your wealth, all the stuff that you have. It is a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. If the Lord will, again, it's okay to go into such a city. Just keep the Lord in view, keep God in mind. Stop, stop thinking that you're sovereigns over your own life. And so this man was guilty of that very thing. He was guilty of that very thing. He thought that he had all this time and he could just do all that he wanted, take his ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And, and again, he, if the Lord will, I live many years, if the Lord will, I could do this, that, or the other. But he had no thought of God, no thought of eternity. He didn't think about eternity, not for a second. And his wealth could buy him the best doctors, could buy him the best of food, the best of attention, all the things that the health experts of 2,000 years ago might have said to him here's how to extend your life, here's how to live longer. And he he had the the means to do everything that he could possibly have wished to do. But when God says this night, it doesn't matter what doctor you have. It doesn't matter what cautions you have taken in relation to your life. You may have walked five miles every morning and been careful with your cholesterol and your fat intake and your carbs and taken all your supplements that you're meant to take. You could have been so particular with it all. But when God says, this night, you can't resist it. You can't stop it. So the Christian, the Christian is constantly aware of the sovereign working of God and the will that supersedes all the will of man. And so man he has his plans, it's fine. But the way to plan and honor God is always recognizing these things are subject to the will of the Lord. I always remember one of the elders in the Hebron, the Balamani church, and usually the Reverend David Park would give the announcements. But occasionally he would be away so an elder would have to give the announcements and whenever whenever John Curry gave the announcements every single time he would say these announcements as always are made subject to the will of God anything can change at any time without notice so you have these spiritual observations. And this man's life was about treasure, leisure, and pleasure. That treasure, leisure, and pleasure. That's all he was interested in. Oh, great, all the gain, all the gain isn't how I can serve the kingdom. It's about increased treasure for increased leisure and Pleasure. And so, all these things, all these spiritual issues, these observations, unthankful in relation to God, greedy in relation to his gain, presumptuous in relation to his future, careless in relation to eternity, all of these meant he was a fool. A fool. Thou fool. Oh, you fool. You fool. Who's it going to be left to? Who's going to take it? Where will it be after you're gone? Oh, this, again, the preacher, Ecclesiastes 5.13, There is a sore evil which I have seen under the sun, namely, riches kept for the owners thereof to their hurt. And so it was for this man. And so the Lord is warning. He's warning the the brother in the company. He is warning his disciples. He is warning everyone: beware, beware of covetousness. I hope we, I hope we feel it. I hope we, we feel it. You know, you don't get saved and then this no longer is a problem. We struggle with it. I mean, it, it's dealt, go to Colossians three. I made mention of it. Just, just go there, just so you see that. these things continue to be challenges for for those that name the name of Christ. Colossians 3, verse 5. Colossians 3, verse 5. Mortify therefore your members, which which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, For which things sake, the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. You're not meant to allow these things to dominate. You have to mortify them. You have to put them to death. So so all the imagery that that comes to you in this great land, and I, I don't say that sarcastically, there's a sense in which There is a certain remnant of greatness still in this land. The mercy of the Lord that still fills the streets and the towns and the cities of this nation. God has been so merciful. But her message increasingly has been, take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. The, 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 The priority of wealth constantly a couple of generations ago, someone would get a job, they'd go and work for GM, they'd go to work for some other company, and they would, they'd stay there for 30 years. Now all the advice, all the advice, all the business advice, all the advice in relation to salary is, move every two to three years. Move every two to three years. Because you'll never stay in a company that will give you a 20 or 30% increase in your income. You won't, you won't get it. it, won't happen. It won't happen. You'll get an In- increase of your income, but it won't be a jump 20, 30, 50%. The only way to do that is go to another company who are desperate to hire you. They will offer you a new salary package. That's how. And you keep doing that. You start 70, you go to the next job, you jump immediately to 110. Go to another one, you go to 160. And, you know, that, that's, that's, that's what you're encouraged to do. And I can understand it. I can understand why young people would do it. Hasten yes that. And Maybe the good that they might do with it. But you think of the sacrifices that sometimes come. Think of the husband that prioritizes this and takes his wife away from a Christian community, away from the preaching of the Word, and go to another territory where there's no church. No connections, no accountability, no... They're just totally detached. And he's pouring himself into this new job. She's suffering. He hasn't thought through the whole thing. He's prioritized one thing. The increase of the salary. It's the only thing that matters. So then we have the summary. Summary given in verse... 21. Having given the parable, Jesus then says, so is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Beware And he says, beware, you immediately ought to be asking, what am I to beware of, Lord? Help me here. And here he summarizes it. The goal is to be rich toward God. Now, every life is different. Every life is different. It's not going to be the same for everyone. And the danger is that we look at someone like Hudson Taylor and we look at the kind of missionary life they lived, and you think that's that's the way it ought to be for everyone, but it isn't. Everyone's different. I was just reading, going through my daily Bible readings, and, and I came across a number of days ago First Chronicles 27. In the latter portion of that chapter, it gives a list of all the individuals that helped David with his reign. Those that they were they were over all the vineyards and the camels and the and the sheep and the the oil, and, and everything. There all these different people. They were, they were masters. They were masters in specific areas. And the kingdom depended upon the plurality of gift. They all contributed. They all needed to be there. And then I think at the end, if I remember correctly, has, and Joab being his general. I mean, he needed that too. He needed all these various gifts and individuals that God had provided during the time when David was reigning and they're so different. They're all so different, and you're different. You're different. How you're rich toward God will look different to others. There are certain undergirding principles, and we're going to look at that in just a moment, but don't mistake in what you see in someone else and say, I need to walk precisely in those footsteps in order to be rich toward God. It will look different to you. First, being rich toward God, it is to value Christ. It's to value Christ. That's where we begin. You have to value Christ. In Proverbs chapter 8, we have the Lord Jesus personified as wisdom. And it says in verse 18, Riches and honor are with me, yea, durable riches and righteousness riches and honor are with me. If you want real riches, if you want honor, if you want righteousness, you have to go to Christ. You have to value Him above everything else. Uh, He's already spoken of that earlier in our our portion, what we're dealing with. You have to confess Him. You have to prioritize Him. If you don't, if you deny Him, then you'll be denied before the angels of God, verse 9. So it's valuing Christ. Valuing Christ above everything. To your hurt. To your hurt. So when it's Christ, or poverty, or riches, or whatever it is, you take Christ. Whatever's on the other side, you make sure, if you're thinking, in some way I'm going to sacrifice Christ in making this decision, you can't do that. You cannot do that. Every time you value Christ above everything. And so when you're, you're put in the circumstances like martyrs of old, it's Christ and death or my life. And I say, it's, it's Christ. It must be Christ, even though death will come with it. Riches and honor are with me. Riches and honor are with me. They're, they're bound up in him. They're bound up in him. Durable riches and righteousness. Durable riches. Is that not what you want? <laughs> you see, the, the, the man in the parable, the man in the parable did not diversify his investments. It was all here in this world. He never thought about treasures in heaven. He didn't diversify And here, here's where moth and rust corrupt and thieves break through and steal. Here is where riches take wings and fly away. And what's a man left with if he hasn't got Christ? Nothing. The man who has only his material possessions and no Christ when the material possessions are gone, that's it, he has nothing. He stands before God on Judgment Day and he can't You haul his riches with him. He can't bring them with him. They're gone. And he stands being judged Christless. So value Christ. It begins there, to be rich toward God. I mean, it, it, it is valuing what God values. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And you're placing your value there as well. That's what you're doing. You're agreeing that the Father has recognized the value of the Son, the unique value of the Son. And you, you embrace. You embrace Him. Secondly, it's to prioritize the kingdom. It is first to value Christ. It is then to prioritize the kingdom. Matthew 6.33 Stop seeking after the things the Gentiles seek for. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness all these things shall be added onto you. Prioritizing the kingdom. Thinking about but the, the will of God and His kingdom and what way you can apply your gifts. You know, when you have the, the job opportunities and you're thinking, well, I could take the job, but what am I sacrificing? I may be sacrificing a certain ministry that will be very difficult to replicate in another place. I'm sacrificing my influence because I have years of credibility built up here and I'm going to walk away into a new place while sometimes that's necessary, I think there's a lack of wisdom in that. You have to be very careful. Prioritize the kingdom. How may I be used for the kingdom? Again, you read First Chronicles 27, you see all these individuals, how could they exercise their gifts for the kingdom? How can they exercise their craft for the kingdom? It's same with the man who was called in in order to help with the making of the, the, the tabernacle. Bezalel, and the Spirit, he's filled with the Spirit of God. And he's, he, he's, a craftsman. he's a craftsman. He's not a preacher. He's not a prophet. He's not a priest. He's a craftsman. And he's full of the Holy Ghost. Because his gifts are used for the kingdom. Prioritize the kingdom. And third, it is to support the needy. There is, there is a practical element to this. Being rich toward God has a practical element to it. Not laying up treasure for self, but being rich toward God. Using riches to glorify God. And I can't deal with this at length, but you pull all the Scriptures together, and the priority of our wealth appears to me, and I am open for correction, it appears to me, certainly this is how I've lived my life up to this point, it is first support for the kingdom and missions. That's number one. And I know there's a sense, of what about my family's needs? I always, no, God's always testing your faith, even with the material. Give to Him first. I think it's borne out in Proverbs chapter 3. First give to God. A certain portion that you say this is for Him. No matter what, this portion is for Him. That's first. Second, support for the family. If a man provides not for his own, he's worse than an unbeliever. It's fundamental. God requires it. The very order of His creation demands that people take care of those they're responsible for. Third, support for the poor of God's people. Galatians chapter 6, remembering those of the household of faith specifically. And then you have the poor according to providence, as we dealt with even with the good Samaritan. And providence brings you across someone who is in need, and you're able to help in that moment. Then. And that's general. There are other avenues and more uh, nuanced aspects of this, but that... If you live according to that, you will be in part being rich toward God. But it's not just the material. It, it's, it's 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 the whole thing. It's the whole person. It's the whole life. Why? Why am I here? Why do I exist? Never forget 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9. Never forget it. You know. You should know. I hope everyone here knows. Ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Christian, you're already rich. You're already rich. You have riches kings don't have, and your unbelief undervalues them. Let faith rise and appropriate an understanding that I already am rich. I am beyond compare, I have riches no amount of money and gold and silver and gifts can ever purchase for me. This is why we prioritize, we value Christ first and foremost. He gave up his wealth to make poor, wretched sinners like you and me wealthy beyond comprehension. A righteousness that is You, with all your sin, are accepted before God in the Beloved. What amount of money would it take to get access to powerful people in this world today? It takes a lot of money. It takes a lot of money. Some of these special events, $10,000 per plate, per seat, The money's going to charity, whatever. And why why do people do it? Because they care about the charity and they want to give $10,000 to charity. No, it's access. It's access to the other powerful people that are there. It's what they're paying for. And who are they in comparison to God? Think of the sovereign, supreme emperor of the entire universe. What does it take to get an audience with him? The righteousness of Christ. To be rich toward God is to value what God values and invest your time and energy there. So, if riches increase, set not your heart upon them, beloved. And I would love to go to 1 Timothy 6 and read there again. Paul's telling Timothy to warn those that will to be rich. You can read it in your own time. Beware of covetousness. If you allow the material to dominate your affections, if you allow your life to be governed by stuff, you're going to reap a harvest. A harvest that doesn't bear thinking about when you're rejected finally by Jesus Christ when he says I never knew beware beware of covetousness may the Lord help us let's bow together in prayer Their heads are bowed before the Lord. Let me warn you again of the, the danger of this, this sin. Covetousness is mentioned in Colossians 3 as one of the sins for which the wrath of God comes upon the children of disobedience, the wrath of God comes upon the covetous. If you're a child of God, you need to mortify your members. You need to die, as do I, to any inclination to the material and to bow before its power. If you're not saved, you're already given to the material. And you have not the riches that will expand and extend beyond this life and into the life to come. You have not Christ. You have no entrance before God. And you will be rejected flat out on that day. And so I invite you, on the authority of God's Word, I invite you to take the riches that only Christ can give, the riches of His righteousness and the blessings purchased by His shed blood God I pray that you will speak to each one of us and warn our hearts repeatedly of the danger of this particular sin deliver us from its power for it is very powerful and it has destroyed countless thousands and tens of thousands and millions they have been destroyed by the deceitfulness of riches The Word of God has not taken root in the heart because of this deceitfulness of riches. Men have perished because of the deceitfulness of riches. And if a man could live for three years in the presence of the incarnate Son of God and not understand the deceitfulness of riches and sell Him out, betray Him, for 30 pieces of silver. What warning there is to every one of us here that exists within the reach of the Word of God and identify with the people of God. And yet the heart of Judas could dwell in any one of us. Have mercy. Turn us on to Thy Son. Help us to surrender our hearts and lives entirely to Him. So bless us here tonight. Keep thy word hidden in our hearts. May it drive us from sin this week and throughout coming days. Be in our fellowship this evening and be with those that are downstairs blessing the food provided. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Spirit be with all thy people now and evermore. Amen.